We thank you for being our sufficiency, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for teaching us how we need to empty ourselves that you might show us and you might give us what we need for you are our all in all, Father. Lord, we thank you just for the opportunity to be able to worship you freely. We thank you for the opportunity just to be able to come here and to study your word together as a body. Lord, bless tonight. Bless every person that's here and every person that's watching, Lord, and use this, your word, to minister to every heart tonight. Lord, bless tonight. We thank you for it. And we say these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you say hello to the person next to you? Okay, time's up. Well, good evening, everyone. For Let's try that again. Good evening, everyone. That's better. That's better. Remember, we're on, we're on Facebook Live, so. <laughs> you know, for the uh, last uh, three weeks, I have been talking a little bit about strength and how we desperately need to, to understand that it's okay to be short of strength. It's okay to get to the end of yourself. You know, and, and we have so many of those situations in life where, we're just, uh, where we just can't go on any longer. But that's exactly, sometimes, that's exactly where the Lord wants us to be, isn't it? Where we come to the end of ourselves and where we're, we're, we're completely dependent upon Him. And that's what I've been talking about the last three weeks. And tonight... I'm going to begin our third study in this three-part series that I've called Be Strong. The series is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And just a quick review, in this series we've looked at ways that we, that we can consider the grace of God and what it can mean in your walk with Christ. In this chapter, Paul has talked about the soldier, the athlete, and the hard-working farmer and how they discipline themselves in order to persevere. He showed us how they needed to be focused and surrendered to authority in order to succeed. We've, we've looked at how important it is for us to understand that we have the very best foundation in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What He accomplished on the cross for our sake gives us the perfect footing from which to, to build a strong life of faith and power. And we've also looked at, just last week, we looked at the necessity to study God's Word in order to be approved by God as a diligent workman, dissecting His Word, this His Word, the Word of Truth. So tonight we're going we're gonna to look at the importance of doing what is necessary to become a sanctified and useful instrument in the kingdom of God. We'll be covering verses 20 to 26, the ending of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. But we'll start by reading just the first two verses in verses 20 and 21. So let's begin. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. 
Therefore, if anyone purges himself from these, he shall be a vessel to honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You see, in every great house or every big house, you might find exceptional architecture. You might find beautiful design, fine furniture, exquisite decor, and even some high-end fixtures. You see, as a young man, I was often involved in the delivery of of real fine furniture to some very great houses. My dad was an expert upholsterer, and for many years he would take take care of his clients who had some some great houses in some beautiful neighborhoods surrounding his upholstery shop in Pasadena. From there, we would pick up and deliver furniture that needed to be reupholstered. And let me tell you, there were some beautiful places that we went through and some beautiful neighborhoods. See, to to reupholster worn furniture, you have to completely strip down the furniture to the frame. And one of the first things you do is you, you take the empty frame, it's just the wood, and you flip it over and you start off by rebuilding and retying the springs. And then you begin to put, you, you flip it back over, of course, and then you begin to put the, the layers of cotton and batting and foam. And then you top it off with some expensive material that will cover the piece. But there's one more important step, and that, lastly, you finish the job with decorative, uh, decorative borders and nails uh, that make a piece of furniture an honorable vessel within some very nice homes. Uh, I'll never forget uh, my dad, uh, as an expert upholsterer, what he would do, because he had this, there's what's called an upholsterer's hammer. And it's not a big hammer, it's a very thin hammer. But it has a good amount of weight, and it's very, it's balanced perfectly. But what upholsters would do is they would take the decorative nails and they would put them in their mouth, literally. And you would, of course, they have to be sanitized, you know. They have to be clean. <laughs> and you would keep them in your mouth and you would literally turn it with your tongue, prepare it for the magnet on the, uh, on the hammer, pull it out with the magnet, and then in, in, one, in one movement, just boom, put it on the spot. Just line them up right down the border where it was, anyhow. Uh, that has nothing to do with the study. I just thought that was an interesting... <laughs> it's an interesting part of creating furniture that is made into uh, a vessel of honor. And again, we went into some very nice homes uh, in the Pasadena area there. So when we think of great houses, what do you think of? You know, we might think of large and grand interiors and exteriors and, and maybe even some beautiful landscaping, that uh, some long driveways that you go up into. Uh, to, to get to the front door. See, much of what you see in a great house, or let's, let's just say uh, we can call it a mansion, much of what you see in homes like that can be considered distinctive or honorable. You know, so every great house has vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And it doesn't matter how big or how beautiful a home can be because every mansion has vessels of dishonor because every mansion has toilets and every mansion probably has garbage disposals garbage disposals okay and every mansion may even have some trash compactors right so every house has vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor 
The word great usually speaks in terms of quantity, uh, weight, or space. It's an adjective that can have a very wide application because it can also speak of virtue, authority, or excellence. So it doesn't have to be big. It can be, it can be something or someone that is highly esteemed. So a great house can be a regular house, can it? A great house can be a tiny house. A great house can be an apartment. A great house can be your house. What makes it great is the honor given to the vessels on the inside. That's what makes a a house great. Not the size or the weight of the vessels. It's the honor given to the vessels that are inside. So whether it's a vessel made of gold, silver, wood, or clay, it's a vessel of honor. You know, is it a vessel of honor or is it a vessel of dishonor? The question I think that we can all uh, ask ourselves is, what kind of a vessel am I? What kind of a vessel am I? See, if, if I'm a child of God, then I should be a vessel of honor, shouldn't I? Nobody's nodding their head, but I know you agree with me. <laughs> If I'm a child of God, I should be a vessel of honor. If I live in this great house where the body of Christ congregates, I should be a vessel of honor. Turn to Jeremiah uh, chapter 18. See, God is doing a work in this, his great house, the body of Christ. If I'm going to be a vessel of honor in the house of God, I have to recognize that I have been made in the image of God by the great architect of heaven, God himself. I should be a vessel of honor because of who I belong to, shouldn't I? I should be a vessel of honor because of who I belong to. There's a portion of scripture in Jeremiah 18 that illustrates this picture beautifully. We'll read verses 1 through 6. Jeremiah 18, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought his work on the wheel. And when the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not, or cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. See, the context of this passage is regarding the nation of Judah and their unwillingness to change. In these verses, there's tremendous application for each of our lives. First, in verse 3, Jeremiah did what the Lord asked him to do. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? We should always do what the Lord is asking us to do, shouldn't we? And we should seek direction from the Lord to see what he wants us to do and where he wants us to go, what doors he's going to open and what doors he's going to close. So that's a, that's a good start. Jeremiah did what the Lord told him to do. See, then the Lord spoke to Jeremiah about what he was seeing at the potter's house. The potter was doing a work on the wheel. If you've ever seen a potter work, 
do this work. I, I think it's fascinating. You know, uh, the pottery has this lump of clay on, on this wheel, and the wheel is spinning, and, and pretty quickly, it doesn't take a lot of time, maybe five, not even ten minutes, he can have a pretty nice piece of pottery on the outside. You know, he can form it and give it a little shape and, and maybe do some lines on it of some sort, but it can begin to take form rather quickly. You know, maybe it's a, a vase or a large pot or a decorative uh, piece of, of pottery. Uh, but then, then what happens is, is for some reason the potter might decide to, to start over. He might decide to start over and sometimes you'll see a little bit of a dramatic uh, uh, movement toward that and he'll just, he'll just take what's, what he already started and he'll crush it. He'll crush it to a new lump of clay on the, on the wheel right there. He'll crush it, and now all of a sudden you have no piece of anything at that point. You have an, another lump of clay because he just crushed it, because he desires to start all over. So he decides to start all over because for some reason the clay is corrupt. The clay is decayed. The clay is ruined for some reason. So there's that need, and that's the decision that the potter makes, is that, that he needs to start all over. So he starts over, and soon, again, he has the outside of the, uh, of the vessel looking pretty, pretty good. You know, he, he can get that form going rather easily, because it's, it's on the outside. It just takes a few minutes, maybe. But then he begins the hard work. Then he begins the hard work of digging into the deepest part of the vessel, and removing everything that the vessel does not need. Again, if you've seen, if you've seen a potter work, then uh, you know they, he's, he's got a, a little table and he's got his lump of clay and the, the, the wheel is spinning. He might be sitting down at the beginning, but at this point, when he has to really begin to work on the inside of the vessel and create the, the integrity and the, and, and the foundation uh, of the vessel, then he really has to begin a new work. And he has to position himself in such a way where he can get into the deepest part of that vessel. So he has to get his arm inside that vessel as the thing is spinning. And he has to begin to take whatever is inside that isn't needed. So he takes it out and he creates a new lump of, uh, you know, that's discarded stuff at that point. It's discarded. It's, it's, it's th that vessel did not need what was deep inside of that, of that vessel. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty powerful when you see a potter do that, you know, because he's going he's gonna to get his arms dirty, first of all. You know, he's using a lot of water to keep everything moist and, and moldable and all that. And he's, he's going to get stuff on his arm because he's digging way down deep. And, and he's getting rid of the things that we do not need, right? The things that the vessel does not need. You see, in the end, every vessel has a purpose, doesn't it? Every vessel has a purpose. That vessel will carry some kind of substance. Maybe it's a liquid or an ointment or a perfume or, or perhaps flowers or plants. That vessel has a purpose. If there's something inside that vessel that will neg negatively affect the purpose of that vessel, it has to be removed, doesn't it? It has to be removed. That vessel will need to be made according to its intended purpose. 
See, this part is intense and it's time-consuming because it, he has to position himself to get to the bottom of the vessel, to get to the deepest part of the vessel. The potter will do the work that he wants to do to complete the intended purpose and design that he has for that vessel. So it's a very interesting picture, and I think that's, you know, that's one reason why the Lord puts it in, in Scripture, because of the picture that it paints. But that's where verses 5 and 6 come in. As you look at verses 5 and 6, what does it say? I have it here. Verse 5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. A good question for each of us to ask is, am I allowing the potter, God Almighty, to make me into a vessel of honor? The work that the potter does is what Paul is talking about here in 2 Timothy. So if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, we'll, we'll continue along uh, in, in how he describes this. In verse 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone purges himself from these, he shall be a vessel to honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. See, the potter is purging the vessel of anything dishonorable that's inside the vessel. And as the Lord directs us to purge or cleanse from anything that is dishonoring, if we do it, if we take those steps, if we go in that direction, it's, that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing. And we place ourselves in a position to make, be made into a vessel of honor. That work is the work of sanctification. It's a work that... That, that begins when you first get saved. And the sooner you jump in and dig into to God's provision, the sooner you're going to begin that work. And it continues for years and years and years. It continues for, an, until the day that you go home to be with the Lord. It continues and God will complete that work as we let Him do that work in each of our lives. It's a work that God does in our lives to make us more useful because we've been purged from anything dishonorable. We're better prepared for the work of ministry. Can we be like, like the clay in the potter's hand? Can we let him do the necessary work? And then in verse 22, he gives more advice. He says, but flee youthful lust and follow righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We have to run away. We have to run away from or shun anything that might get you in trouble. And I think for most of us we can think about a few things that can get us in trouble. And, and, and hopefully we've run from those things and we, are no longer, we no longer partake in those things or those activities. There's plenty of things that can get us in trouble and those are the things we have to run from, we have to shun. Any longing, youthful or otherwise, that can create problems for you is what we must run from, we must flee. Remove yourself from anything that is going to hinder the work that God wants to do in your life. He says flee... 
But then he says, follow. He says, flee. But then he says, follow. Follow righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As you are doing this work of purging, as you are becoming a vessel of honor, you get to work with the body of Christ. You get to work with the body of Christ to be encouraged and to be discipled. You get to work with and, and, and serve with and grow with the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, For the church of God which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called out with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. See, those who are sanctified and called out with those that call on the name of Jesus Christ. See, we all have something in common, don't we? Have you ever thought about sometimes, you can look around at the people that you fellowship with. You can look around, you know, when there's an event in someone's house or an event someplace or here, and you look around and you think, what am I doing with some of these people? You know, if you think of your life and where your life has gone, you might think that in, in, in my regular life, I would never associate with some of these people. And that's not a bad thing. That's, you know, there just might be some professions that you would never associate with. There's some people and certain, uh, certain, uh, certain anything that you might never find yourself associating with. But as part of the body of Christ, we do associate with them, don't we? Because we have that. We have the Lord in common with them. Together we get to follow righteousness, faith, love, peace, among other things. And we get to follow together. And that is a privilege. That is a wonderful opportunity to grow in the things of God. Now, people in the body of Christ are not perfect. Okay? Uh, myself included. <laughs> I, we are not perfect. And we have to remember sometimes that we're a hospital. We're a hospital and sick people come into this place. Sick people come into this place to be healed, to be strengthened, to be, uh, you know, to, to, to do this work of sanctification. People come here for a reason. People come here with needs. And we do the very best we can. First of all, we direct them to the Lord, of course. We, and we, we give instruction in His Word. But then we fellowship and we encourage and we, and, and, and we cause people just to think about the goodness of God. Pastor did a great study this morning on, on the goodness and the power of God, didn't he? You know? And, and that's where we point people to. We point people to the Lord, but then we fellowship with them and we get to grow together. We're all sinners, no doubt. And sometimes in church you can get some weird stuff, okay? I'll just say it. You can get some weird stuff, you know, but again, this is a hospital. This is a place where weird people can come, right? There's always room for more. We're all sinners, but we're sinners saved by grace, aren't we? We're sinners saved by grace. So we don't focus, we shouldn't focus on the imperfections. We should focus on the fact that we're saved by grace. And we move forward in that truth, in that reality. When we're allowing the Lord to do this work, when we're getting ourselves out of the way, 
when we're building each other's up, each other, building others up, we get to follow together, don't we? We get to do this together as a body when we focused on the fact that we're saved by grace. We're all sinners and we're saved by grace. So when we're allowing the Lord to do that, we're, we get to do these things together. That is the beauty of how God works in his great house, isn't it? In verse 23, we get more advice and even a warning. Verse 23 says, But avoid foolish and unlearned questions, knowing that they give birth to strife. Last week, we looked at verse 14 of 2 Timothy, 14 and 16, and, and what can become of a life that is not disciplined in the things of God. And these verses are similar to verse 23. We'll read verses 14 and 16 quickly. Put them in memory of these things, charging them before the Lord not to dispute about words to no profit, to the subverting of the hearers, but shun profane, vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. What happens? What happens when we come into this place and we continue to live the way we've been living? What happens when we come into this place and we live a life that is worldly or carnal? See, if you argue and dispute about things that are not important in the kingdom of God, you can do more harm than good, can't you? And we have to be concerned about that. We have to be careful about that. That kind of behavior can actually damage someone's walk. One of the, the key responsibilities of being a believer is that we have to be concerned about what other people are watching. You know, not overly concerned, but we have to be concerned uh, so that if anybody's watching, and there could be somebody watching, there could be somebody watching how you conduct yourself, how you behave in the body of Christ. There could be somebody watching. At the very least, your children are watching all the time. And how many times have we heard testimonies of, you know, uh, a, a, a parent is one person in church and another person at home, completely at home? Well, we got to be careful with that kind of thing, don't we? Because we can do more harm than good. We have to stay away from empty-sounding disputes or foolish questions. If we don't, it can actually lead to more ungodliness. It can actually give birth to strife and controversy that need not take place in the body of Christ. So we flee from unprofitable things, from things that lead to ungodliness. We flee from those things, controversial things that need not be brought up in church. Now you could talk about the issues of life, we all do, you know, the, the issues of the day, I should say. You can talk about those things. But that should not be the focus of our time together. That should not be the focus of our fellowship. Our, our, our focus should be on following together, on growing together, on, being, on studying together, on praying together, on the things of God. Our, our focus should be on following righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Scripture tells us that we are, we are to take the gifts that God has given us, and he's given each and every one of us spiritual gifts. The gifts that he has blessed us with, we're to take those things and we're to use them in the body of Christ for the profit of all. 
We're to use those gifts to build each other up, aren't we? We're to use those gifts to encourage one another and to disciple our brothers and sisters. In verse 23, we're told what we should focus on. In verse 24, we can see some progress here. Verse 24 says, But the servant of the Lord must not strive, but to be gentle to all, apt to teach, and patient. A servant of the Lord. I want to take a little side road here. A servant of the Lord is a phrase that Paul uses in a number of places in his in his epistles. One of them is in Romans chapter 6. Let's turn there. Because the word servant in the original language means slave. So in Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at some verses here, verse 16 through 22. See, it's very healthy for us to understand that we're all going to be a slave to someone. We're going to be a slave to someone, and the choices that we make along the way will determine who it is that we're going to serve. The choice that Paul gives us in Romans 6 is that we're going to serve either sin or righteousness. Beginning at verse 16, it says, Do you not know that to whom you yield yourself as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to him whom you obey? Whether it is in whether it is of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. But thanks be to our God that you, you were the slaves of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Then being made free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19 says, I speak in the manner of men because of the weakness of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members as slaves to uncleanness and to lawless act unto lawless act, even so now yield your members as slaves to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the slaves of sin, you were, you were free from righteousness. What fruit did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. See, there are consequences to every decision that we make in life, aren't there? If we decide to ignore and to contradict what Scripture tells us to do, it will lead to ungodliness. It will lead to strife. It will lead to unprofitable things. If you decide to serve sin, it will lead to death, first spiritual death, and eventually physical death. If you decide to serve righteousness, it will lead to blessings and favor and abundant life. As we read and, and, and study the Word of God, we decide to learn from and act on what Scripture tells us to do. We learn to live a life of obedience, don't we? See, we're going to serve somebody. And we're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness. Those are the, the decisions that we made. I know. I know. Many years ago, I was a slave to sin. Now, even though it's been a long time, even though it's been almost 30 years now, 
I'm only a few bad decisions away from going right back where I came from, aren't I? Aren't we all? Just a few bad decisions and we can be right back in that mess that we came out of. But I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to drug abuse. I was a slave to alcoholism. I was a slave to behavior that, that wouldn't be tolerated today. I was a slave to sin. But then, then the Lord got a hold of my heart. Then the Lord showed me himself. Then the Lord began to instruct me in his word. Then, and, and then the Lord did a, a work. And little by little, day by day, and month by month, and year by year, that work continued. That's the work of sanctification. And, and he's not done with me yet, but he's come a long way. And I am not the person that I used to be. Praise God for that. Plus, I found a pretty good, pretty good woman, you know, and uh, I think we're going to stay together. So, God has done a work in my life. And I think a lot of you can say the same thing, that God has done a work in your life. You're no longer a slave to sin. Now you are a slave to righteousness. So the Lord does that. He shows me. He shows us in his word the power of his word. And we begin to surrender to the things of God and to the grace of God. We receive Christ as Savior. We receive the free gift of eternal life beginning that work of transformation that starts on the inside. That work that starts in the heart and it works its way outside to our conduct and our behavior. That's when we become slaves to righteousness, isn't it? When, when you become free from sin, it does not mean that you're sinless. Because you become a slave to God, it means that you are much more conscious of everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think, everything that you are. You're much more aware of your conduct and your behavior. In other words, you're living in the spirit more than you're living in the flesh. Praise God for that. We're living in the spirit much more than we're living in the flesh. That, the fruit of that is holiness. It's yielding to the things of God. So we're going to make those decisions. Are we going to yield to sin? Or are we going to yield to righteousness? That is being a servant of the Lord. So back in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, the theme of this series is, is be strong. So when we get strong, and you do, you have good days where you get strong. But as, as you do those things consistently and persistently, you're in prayer, you're in fellowship, you're in God's word on a regular basis, you will develop strength. And you can stay strong. That's the type of growth that occurs when we're becoming a vessel of honor. Because we're becoming a, an instrument that God can use. That should be the goal for all of us. We'll read the last three verses here, verses 24 to 26, as we conclude. But the servant of the Lord must not strive, but to be gentle to all, apt to teach, and patient. In meekness, instructing those who oppose, and if perhaps God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, 
and that they awake out of the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, so as to do the will of that one. When we are no longer striving for the accomplishments of the world, but rather we seek first a spirit-filled character that, is, that God is molding and making into his image, that is a man or a woman that is gentle, able to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose, those that are in opposition. See, in today's environment, it's so easy to get into an argument, isn't it? It's so easy to get into an argument. It's, it's so easy to argue. Uh, and, and oftentimes you just see yourself adding fuel to the fire, don't you? And we have to be careful about that. Because you will only increase the tension and expose the hatred with those that oppose, with those who are in opposition to your way of life, to your way of thinking. As a servant of the Lord, we can be gentle and patient, knowing that our time will come in due time. We just continue to plant seeds and to water seeds and to give them the truth from God's word. I like how one commentator, he put it like this. He said, we should not struggle for mere victory. Even when endeavoring to maintain truth, but should do this. In all cases, with a kind spirit and a mild temper, with entire candor, with nothing designed to provoke or irritate an adversary. And so that whatever may be the result of the discussion, the bond of peace may, if possible, be preserved. See, never should we argue just for argument's sake. Never should we argue just to take someone down. Though you might want to really just show someone that they're wrong. You know, we have to be gentle. We have to be, you know, considering that how we conduct ourselves when we're, when we're uh, talking with those that oppose, those who are in opposition to our way of life. Yes, we must earnestly contend for the faith, but we contend with civil and honorable discussion, not with endless rants or forceful rhetoric. You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the fruit of the, of the Spirit comes to mind here. And I'll just, I'll just read that it's in Galatians 22. Excuse me, Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But those belonging to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we approach our witness with the right heart, we're going to get opportunities to affect the lives of those around us. So when we get strong, we can stay strong, can't we? Then we can be used by God. Then we can be an instrument to pull people away from those things and those people that are deceiving others and holding them captive. You know, we have to show them with love, don't we? We have to show them with love. And sometimes we just have to listen and be quiet. 
These are the things that happen when we allow the Lord to do the, this, this work, this work of sanctification. It changes our character. It changes the way we conduct ourselves. It changes our behavior for good. And God can use that, can't he? Then we can be like the clay on the potter's wheel, a lump of clay. If you leave tonight with anything, be a lump of clay. How's that? Just be a lump of clay that God can, can mold and make. And, you know, be a lump of clay that is moldable and breakable so that the potter can have his, his way and make us into a vessel of honor set apart, ready to be useful in his hand. Remember what the Lord told Joshua in Joshua 1.9? He says, have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid or discouraged. For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever you go. So are you, are you that kind of clay? That kind of clay that is moldable and breakable. That kind of clay, that kind of person, that kind of vessel that God is making into a vessel of honor. We can be that, can't we? So be strong. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong and sanctified. A vessel of honor that God can use today. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for the privilege of getting into your word here tonight. We thank you for the encouragement of your word, Lord. In the places where we may need correction, Lord, the places where we may need strengthening, the places where we may need to, to, to understand that we cannot move forward without your strength, without your power, without your love. Lord, those places just speak to each of our hearts. Every person here and every person that's watching, Lord, speak to our hearts that we would recognize those things and be able to move forward in our walk with you. Be able to move forward and draw closer to you, Father, because we know that if we draw closer to you, you will draw closer to us, Father. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for that privilege. We thank you for all the work that you're doing in each of our lives. And we pray that you would bless every person here. Bless every person here and meet them right where they're at, Lord. That they might continue or begin to be a vessel of honor. Do that work, Lord, in each of our lives. That you would remove those things on the, in the deepest part of our being that are not needed, those things that are not necessary. Father, that we might surrender our lives and become a vessel of honor. Father, we thank you again for the privilege, and we pray that you would bless everyone here tonight, Father. We thank you and we give you glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, don't forget, if you're planning to go to uh, Lifehouse with us on the 14th, we need some sign-ups so that we can get the tickets. We can get group tickets. So God bless you guys. Have a good evening. Would everyone please stand?
God bless you guys, and my prayers are for those that are sick. There's a lot sick and ailing out there, so keep them in prayer. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.